And so this morning, I want us to look at what is one of my uh, favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, Certainly, it's been one of my favorite passages of Scripture recently, but it comes from 2 Corinthians, it's chapter 4, it's verses 16 through 18. It's just a very brief bit of Scripture, and I just want us to take two applications, really, uh, this morning from that. But I think it really is the hope of the gospel. And so if you will look at that with me, if you have your Bibles or they're on your phone, or I think we'll also maybe have the passage up here soon. Uh, I think I realized that I put it, put it down in the wrong translation. So my translation may be a bit uh, different from what's on the screen. So I apologize for that. Uh, but Second Corinthians 4 says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Uh, If you don't mind, just pray with me for a moment. Father, we are so grateful that you have opened the eyes of the heart of the believer, that they might see what is unseen, that they might see what is of eternal significance in your world. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would uh, encourage our hearts, that you would open them up through the power of your Spirit in us, And that you would allow us to breathe in this great hope that we have. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for your people gathered. And so often we need each other to to encourage our own souls. And so, Father, I just pray this morning will be a time of encouragement as we look into your word. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at the idea of transformation. Real, genuine transformation. And one of the things I want to start off with is just by saying what transformation is not. So here Paul is offering us this sort of dichotomy. He's saying that on one hand, our bodies and, and life sometimes feel like we're, we're just wasting away. And we'll sort of unpack that here in a little bit. But he says on the other hand, that Part of what it means to have faith in Jesus is to realize that we are being renewed, or a better way to say that is being made new, which is the idea of transformation, that we are being made new day by day. So there's this amazing paradox that we're going to see that that just kind of sits at the center of the gospel. And so that's, that's what I want us to look at today. But let's talk about a few things that transformation is not. Number one, transformation is not just... Um, this sense of sort of putting us on ice. And what I mean by that is, it's not that God has said, you know what, we're just going to pause the movie here and I'm going to leave Jason or the believer just the way they are and I'm just going to preserve them in a way that one day when they get to heaven, they're going to be immediately transformed and made new at that point. Now, now that is true. We're going to experience... What, what the Bible says is glorification at that point. But I think as, as, as people who are seeking the truth, we need to realize that what God is offering us in the gospel is to be made new right now, that that process will begin in our hearts today, 
that it has begun, if you're already a believer, in your heart, that God is making us new as we speak. Do you know that in 1867, one of the greatest inventions that has industrialized uh, the world in which we live in was created? It was the refrigerated rail car, which meant for the first time ever, so 1867, they could take a piece of fruit, put it on a railroad, put it on a train, send it across the country, and it would get to the other side still fresh. Okay, and so, so that's sort of the sense of taking something, putting it on ice, and, as, and as, as much as you can, slowing down the decaying process until it can get into the hands of the person that would need it. So that's, that's one way that someone might look at, at transformation, but that's not real transformation. That's just slowing the decaying process. But the, but the second way is this. Do you know that later on we realized that we could use chemicals to preserve food, right? And so that's, that's what we do now. We use chemicals to do that same process. But really, that's not transformation either because, again, that's only slowing down the decaying process. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying the gospel doesn't slow down the decaying process of the believer. The gospel actually reverses that process, And that God begins to make us new at the same time that our outward bodies may be decaying. So normally I don't go into a lot of history, but I think it's really helpful here. So this letter is from Paul. It's 2 Corinthians. So we also have 1 Corinthians. I think if um, scholars would say that this is the most writing that we have to one individual church in the Bible. And so it's kind of interesting because we know a lot about the church at Corinth, okay? So they are started on Paul's first missionary journey. And when Paul leaves, uh, eventually he had spent 18 months with them. So Paul would have known these people that he's writing to very intimately, okay? And so we're going to kind of, this morning, we're going to compare Romans 8 and we're going to compare Corinthians 4 together. And we're going to look at those together. What's really interesting about Romans 8 is that Paul had not visited Rome yet. And so in Romans, we get this full explanation of the gospel from sort of the A to the Z of what it is that God is doing in the person of Jesus. And then in in the, the letters to the Corinthians, in Corinthians 1 and Corinthians 2, it's almost as though we get this intimate sort of heartfelt plea on Paul's behalf with people that he is very intimate with. So does that make sense? In Romans, these are people Paul doesn't know. And so he's kind of explaining in very great detail sort of what it is that God has done in the person of Jesus. But then in Corinthians, he's really doing, he, he's explaining the same material, but in a very different way because these are people that he is, he is deeply devoted to, that he is deeply connected to. Now something interesting happens when Paul gets his first report back from the Corinthians, uh, there's a lot of division. There's really five things that we see in 1 Corinthians that is is happening in the church at Corinth. And so Paul addresses each one of those. And he takes time throughout the letter to address each one. And part of what's interesting is the way that he addresses them is by reminding them of Christ. So let me give you one example. One of those things is that there have become great division. The Corinthians had started, they had done basically a little bit of what we kind of do. Uh, if we run around, probably people in this room would have a favorite pastor, 
Okay, somebody that you just really like, like you find yourself going back and you want to listen to their sermon. And I don't know, you may be a Keller guy, you could be a John Piper person, you could be a John MacArthur person, you know, you you could be a Bragg person. Like there's all kinds of people that you could connect with. But that had become at a point in the church at Corinth that it was creating division. Because some people were following Peter, some people were following Apollos, some people were following all these different leaders, and they were, they were, they were good leaders. Um, some of them, Paul mentions, are actually false teachers, but, but for the most part, some of them were really good leaders, but it had become the sense of division. And one of the things Paul reminds them of is that Christ is the center of our faith, that no one personality sort of corners the market on what it means to follow Christ, that, that Christ is the one that we have to go to over and over. And so if you, you and I took the time to look at 1 Corinthians, what we would see is every one of these issues that Paul addresses, he reminds them of the person and work of Jesus over and over again. Now, let me say this. Sometimes we look at the gospel and we think of the gospel as, okay, well, that's sort of, that's the reset button or that's entry into God's kingdom. And yet what we see in the writings of Paul is we see, no, that is what kingdom life is about. What you are going to find yourself as a follower of Christ, you're going to find yourself always being brought back to the very base of the cross. You're going to find yourself at the foot of the cross over and over again. Now, when I was a younger believer, um, I'm pretty sure I became a Christian when I was seven, which sounds kind of crazy. But I, but I think I truly, genuinely responded to the gospel when I was very young. But part of what that created in my life was as I would, as sort of God would reveal sin in my life or challenge me in different areas of my life when I was younger, uh, what happened to me, and maybe you can relate to this, I always felt like that I wasn't a Christian. Has anybody ever felt like that? Like, like something's revealed in your life and you're like, oh, I must not have really believed, or, or I must not have done this right. And so if you're like me and you grew up in the church and maybe you went to different camps, that's kind of funny because I used to put on camps around here, you know, and bring youth in. But almost every camp has the same sort of ending. There's a time, sometimes it's around a campfire, right? And you're able to go up to a microphone or something and say something God's done in your life during that week, which is a wonderful thing. I think camps should keep doing that. But I would over and over again find myself being led to go down front. And I, what I thought in my head was that I was needing to recommit my life to Christ because I had not done it, you know, full-heartedly or I had not done it in the right way the first time. But as I've continued to live out the gospel in my own life and pursue Jesus in my own life, I've realized no, wait, that's just what it means to grow in your faith. That, it, that is what the Christian life is about, that God is always bringing us back to, to this full view of his son's death and his son's perfect life on our behalf and what grace looks like. That, that is not step one in kingdom life. That is kingdom life. Okay, and so I think that's what Paul is going to, try to spell out to us this morning. So really two, maybe three main points. We may not get to the third. We'll at least get to two. But the question is this, how do you and I live in this world that we find ourselves in? 
Okay, so what does it look like for us to live in the world that we find ourselves in? And so 2 Corinthians, uh, the part that we're looking at, says this. Therefore, do not lose heart. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if you're anything like me, there probably has been times that you found yourself losing heart. Maybe it's because of things you see in the news. Okay, Maybe it's because of things you've experienced in your own life. But you're going to come to those moments where you feel like you're losing heart. And Paul doesn't stop there. Part of the worst part is what Paul says next. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away. Okay, here's my challenge to you. So if you're my age, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home today. You know, when when you get home, you have this minute, right? Most of the time everybody goes off to their own place for a few minutes before they gather back together. Okay, I want you to go in the bathroom and I want you to look into the mirror I want you to get like really close. Like you can even let your nose touch the mirror if you want to. Right? But it's not going to take long for you to realize we're getting older. Right? That Paul's right. Our outward selves are are wasting away. We're not who we were. Okay, I grew up loving tennis. Now I'm having to play pickleball. We are wasting (laughs) away. Okay? Um. If you're younger than me, here's my challenge to you. Maybe you wouldn't, you wouldn't feel that yet, but I, I can tell you, you'll, you'll feel that eventually. Okay? But if you're younger, let me ask you this. How are your relationships? Right. So, so think about whatever age you are. Think about yourself five years ago. Was life easier five years ago? Was it less complex? Has it gotten more complex for you? Right, I think that's something we can all relate to because no matter what age we are, many of us would, you know, we love the freedoms that we have now, but a lot of times we'd love to go back to when we were 12 or when we were 10, when life was simple. We were deciding, you know, should I jump on the trampoline or should I go play basketball? You know, we were making decisions like that and now we're making very different decisions. And so life just gets more complicated. Relationships get more complicated. Things get more difficult. Life wears on you in a different way as you get older. And I don't mean older, older. I mean when you hit 16, when you hit 18, when you hit 21, life just wears on you in a different way and it feels like it's getting more complex. And so Paul's truth is very real to us. We are slowly wasting away. That is the experience of going through life. You know, Paul writes these words in about 55 um, or 56, the year 55 or the year 56. Paul is going to face his own death about eight to 10 years later. Paul will see in Rome, okay, again, Murray, he had not visited Rome when he writes the book of Romans, but he's going to see in Rome the, the, the glint, this sort of sharp, um, brightness of color probably uh, glowing off of the axeman's axe. And like that, Paul is going to be in front of his Savior in only a few years after writing these words. 
that he's wasting away. Paul, if you look through 2 Corinthians, what you're going to see is the whole book is about suffering. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 11 or 12, Paul walks through all the things that he suffered. He's been shipwrecked three times. He's been stoned twice. He's, he's been flogged. He's been like, and so Paul just lays it on thick, all of the suffering that he has been through. And yet he can write the words that somehow in the midst of that, he is being renewed and you and I are being renewed day by day. So we look in the mirror and we see one reality And yet the Bible says that the gospel is offering us to be renewed day by day. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say this. He used to say the Christian faith is not about escapism. It's not about us closing our eyes to the reality of life. He said it's actually about the exact opposite. The Christian should be the one who can look at the world and speak truth into the world because we, we don't fear the world that we see. We don't fear relationships that are broken. We don't fear regret. We don't fear conflict. We don't fear war. We don't even fear death. And one of my favorite authors is Bill Bryson. Bill Bryson says this at the start of one of his books. He said, there are a thousand things that can kill us. Slightly more, probably around 8,000 at least according to the International Statistical Classification of Disease and Related Health Problems compiled by the World Health Organization. There are over 8,000 things just, just by a list of the World Health Organization that can kill us. Bill Bryson says there's good news and there's bad news. He says we will escape every one of these. That's the good news, except one, and that's the bad news. Right? But that is the world in which we live in. But Christian, do not despair because God is at work. So what is the reality of this? So outwardly, the truth of our reality is that we are wasting away. But, but there's also a truth of our own hearts and the fact that that decay is not just on our external selves, but it's also inside of us. So our physical bodies are frail, but our ability to live according to the gospel is also compromised. And so I want you to look, if you have a moment, if you'll turn to Romans 8, verses 12 through 13, I want you to see that Paul sort of hits on these same subjects, but in different ways. And so you're going to hear the same voice from Paul, but from a different aspect And so in Romans 8, Paul says it like this. He begins to use the idea of our flesh. And he says this, Then, brothers, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so in Romans, Paul speaks of it in this way, that if you and I live by the flesh, if we allow our desires, if we allow every whim of our heart to play out, that we will experience not only in our outward selves, but even in our inward selves, this sense of decay and ultimately death, that we will begin to rot, not just from the outside, but we'll begin to rot from the inside. And so one of the 
the first application I want to give you, the first thing that I will say will really transform us is for us to realize that the gospel gives us freedom to be honest about our own sin in our life. Okay? Not only are we experiencing decay on the outside, we're experiencing decay on the inside. And one of the things that I would say our culture needs right now more than anything is a church that will be honest about its own sin. Because, you see, that becomes our connection to culture. That is the place that we can connect with the unbeliever, that we can connect with our friends or family. You just went through Thanksgiving, and I'm sure you were around family that maybe you've been praying for for years, and you would wish that they would, they would come to a saving knowledge, that they would put their faith in what Jesus has done for them. And maybe you've tried to share your faith with them, or, or you've tried to continue to pray for them over the years, and you feel like there hasn't been a lot of um, success in that, or, or, you, or you wonder if that has happened. One of the things I'd encourage you with is, I think one of the things that we see here that Paul is telling us, you know, the Christian should be the most honest person in the room. The Christian believer should be the one who says, you know what, I'm not perfect. And, and you're welcome here with me because, you know, we can be two imperfect people together. I've experienced grace, yes, and l- let me share that with you. But I'm not here to say that I'm perfect. And I think a lot of times we need to be honest that as, as the church, people from the outside looking in sort of see this posture of, of a finished product. And yet the reality is that probably if they would ask us, I think most of us will be honest and say, no, I'm not, I'm not perfect at all. But what I'm saying is a lot of times the perception from the outside is that. And so part of one of the freedoms that we can have that will really transform us and we'll see this renewing of the inner man is that we need to be honest about the outward man. So secondly, verse 16, back to 2 Corinthians, it says this, yet the inner man, yet the inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Now notice what Paul's about to say. For our light, okay, so that sounds like a really positive thing, right? And what he's talking about is the light of the gospel. Paul, leading up to this, has been talking about the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And he's saying that is the light. That is where we need to set our minds to, is um, our Father in heaven, um, his son Jesus, who sits at God's right hand and intercedes for us. So notice what he says, for our light, light of the gospel, and momentary troubles, okay? So the light of the gospel and the momentary troubles, What are they doing? They are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, as a believer, I want to think, all I need is the light. (laughs) All I need is the positive end of that equation. But Paul says that it's really the light in light of the darkness, in light of the momentary troubles in light of our suffering that really begins that process of transformation. There's almost like this chemical reaction that happens in the Christian life. Okay, and so as you and I bring to bear on our own sin or our own circumstances that we find ourselves in, when we bring to bear the gospel on that, that is when we are transformed. 
See, the gospel itself is a paradox, right? Think, just think about Jesus. Jesus says, um, you must die in order that you might live. Jesus says things like, the first shall be last. Jesus, who we know was a conquering king, says that he came to serve those around him, right? And so the gospel itself is a paradox. And so Paul is reminding us, while the outward man is wasting away, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Um, I've gotten the privilege to, to speak to and to be around uh, a lot of people who are, have been in the stage of life where they knew that they were dying. I think that's one of the things that happens as a pastor, that you are brought into that. And, it, you know, it, it can be very, very daunting because a lot of times you feel like you don't have words to say to people. You go sit with them day after day. Um, many of you guys would remember one of them uh, who was a longtime member over at Covenant, but would have been Henry Decker, who I would go and visit and I would sit with Henry and uh, Henry taught me a lot about leadership and he encouraged me when I was going through a tough time. And one of the things that I can remember over and over again, many of those believers saying is that they still felt young at heart. Like if you ever heard someone who's in that stage saying that, you know, they'll say things like, I still feel inside like I'm that 18 year old young man who could go and do anything and take on the world. And yet I'm, I'm in this body that is not an 18-year-old young man anymore. And I think the reality is that what Paul is saying is that that is one of the most incredible paradoxes of what it is that God is offering us through faith in Jesus. Is that while we go through life in a way because of the fall, we go through life experiencing decay of the outward man, yet inwardly, God through his spirit is at work in us and is transforming us. Uh, Another picture of this, I can remember reading where Tim Keller, who recently passed away, uh, at one point, you know, they had diagnosed him. He had had a lot of different treatments, but he got uh, sort of a, a really hard diagnosis where it was stage four, there was nothing else they could do. And so he was kind of sent home uh, to, to live out uh, the rest of that time. And I can remember Keller, I don't remember if he tweeted it or if it was in a video uh, that he had done. But one of the things he said was, the only thing I can figure is that God still has things to teach me before I go to eternity. And I was like, man, that's the way I want to face that kind of news. You know, he's given me a few more days, a few more months, a few more weeks, whatever that might look at like. But you know what? There's a few more days to be renewed. I mean, what an incredible perspective. I don't know that we can have that perspective without faith. So one way that we're transformed is by being honest about our sin. But you know what? The second way that we are transformed is that God has given us a new identity. So if you're back in Romans, look at Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. It says this, 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 the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit 
that we are God's children. So the second way that we're transformed, the first way is we have to be honest about who we are, about our own sin, about the world we live in, about the effect of the fall in the world we live in. But the second way we're transformed is by leaning into this new identity that we get with the gospel, that you and I are called children of God. What a privilege. Jesus, Jesus sort of shockingly at one point, do you know that Jesus at one point called the disciples that were following him evil? It's kind of offhanded. Uh, he's actually talking, he's trying to share with them how much a loving father would give his children. And you know, the way he does that is he gives them this is an example of themselves. He says, well, you, wouldn't you, even as evil fathers, give your best to your children? I don't know if the disciples like picked up on it, right? But it's like, we, we who? Who? Wait, Jesus, what'd you say? No, 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 we're following you. We're not evil, we're following you. But one of the things I think that Jesus is doing is he's reminding us the reality of the grace that he has shown us, right? Who is it that God has adopted through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus? He's adopted rebels. He's adopted the enemy. In some ways, he's, I mean, in all ways, he's adopted those who were evil until he began this work of transformation in their hearts through faith, right? And so we have to be okay with that paradox. We have to be okay to really be transformed from the inside out. We have to be okay with seeing the depth of our own sin and the depth of God's grace for us through his son, Jesus. And so going back to 2 Corinthians verse 18, and we'll conclude with this. What is it that Paul reminds the Corinthians of? Well, before I share that verse, let me tell you what had happened. So Paul, we see here, writes a second letter to the Corinthian church. Partially, he writes a second letter because Paul had gone back and visited them again. And he said it was a terrible visit. Those are Paul's words. And what we begin to understand through 2 Corinthians as Paul writes this letter back to them after his visit is that when Paul went back, they had began to question Paul as an authority on the gospel and on scripture. And they said things like, you know, he's not a great speaker. You know, he really doesn't present himself all that well. He's not, he doesn't really have it together. And one of the third things that they said about him was that look at all the trouble he finds himself in, which is why in 2 Corinthians later on in this, this letter, Paul is going to defend and Paul is going to tell them all that he has suffered. And one thing he's going to say to them is, if you are not suffering for Christ, then you have to question whether or not you've truly put your faith in him and you are living that faith out. Because if you live... The Christian who lives in the world, in this evil world, you will face persecution. And so here's what Paul says to them in verse 18 at this point. And, and this is, is Paul encouraging them. He says this, So fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
Okay, so today, when you go home and you're staring in that mirror, right? If you watch SNL, you'll remember like Jack Candy. He would stare in the mirror, right? And he'd try to say positive affirmations about himself. Okay, you don't need to say positive affirmations about yourself. But two things I want you to do. One is be honest with yourself about who you are and where you are today. And then the second thing is look in that mirror and be reminded Here's what is unseen. Do you, we, we don't have time to read it, but here's what is unseen. At the end of Romans chapter 8, again, parallel, parallel chapters. I encourage you, you can read both of those. You can see in one Paul's heart and you can see Paul's logic in the other. But in Romans 8, Paul reminds us of this great scene of the heavenly courtroom. And he says things like this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then he goes on and says, who can bring a charge against my elect? Right? And so part of what is unseen is you stare in that mirror, remind yourself what is unseen. You know, if if God ushered us into a courtroom and he said, you know what, I'm just going to use the last week of your life and we're going to decide whether you deserve to go into my heaven or not. I guarantee you this, every one of us will be convicted in that courtroom. But the beautiful thing, the unseen part, is that our, uh, our lawyer would stumble into the back of the room, and his name is Jesus. You know what he would say in that heavenly court? He would say, I've already paid every bit of the sentence that this young man, this young woman will receive. They are with me. And you and I would walk out of that courtroom free. And not just free, but we would walk out of that courtroom as children of the true and living God. Right? That is what Paul is telling his beloved people in the Corinthian church. He's saying, listen, you're children of God. Don't turn away from that. Don't let these divisions take hold of you. Don't let the suffering of life win out. Don't let the things that you are going to face today when you and I leave this wonderful group of people, right, that are so encouraging and shake our hands in the morning and say, oh, so good to see you, right? But that's not oftentimes how we're treated when we're outside of these walls. Don't let that steal the fact that in the unseen world, you are a child of God and that he is renewing us day by day. Let's pray. Father, so grateful for your word, so grateful that, that we always see two things in your world. We see the reality of who we are, but Father, we also see the reality of who our Heavenly Father is. Thank you so much that in Christ you have offered us this new life, this ability to be transformed. Father, will you help us? Will you help us to live that out? Will you help us to have the courage to speak into our culture and to say, you know what, I'm not perfect. But then, Father, will you also help us to stand against our culture at the same time where we say, but I have a relationship with the true and living God and I can't live like this anymore because he has called me to something very different. Father, that, that is what our world needs. Our world needs a church. Our world needs 
people who will be honest about their own sin and who will share the hope of the resurrection of Jesus with those around them. Father, will you help us to be that type of person in our culture? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.